Christmas sermon series. John chapter 1 is where we're starting. If you have a Bible and want to follow along, the New Testament begins about three quarters of the way through. Uh, The last book of the Old Testament is Malachi, and then Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. If you hit the book of Acts, you've gone too far. John chapter 1, and we're looking at the first 18 verses. We titled this series Emmanuel. Emmanuel is a Hebrew name that means God with us. Um, And this, this name was mentioned by the prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament. Um, speaking of the Messiah, speaking of the coming Christ, he referred to him as Emmanuel, because that is what we celebrate Christmas season, that God has come to be with us. It's what Emmanuel means, God with us, his people. So we're going to study this good news and look at what God's word has to say about this awesome truth. And we're starting in John chapter 1, Verses 1 through 18 is where we're going to be. So, brothers and sisters, hear the words of our God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. John was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about Him and cried out, This was He of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because He was before me. For from His fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made Him known. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. On April 12, 1961, about 60 years ago, Yuri Gagarin became the first person ever to enter outer space. Gagarin was a Soviet Air Force pilot who eventually joined Russia's space program to become a cosmonaut. And several years of training eventually led him to be chosen to be a part of the Vostok spaceship, to pilot 
the Volstock. And in April of 61, Yuri Gagarin took flight, breaking through the Earth's atmosphere and for the first time in human history going into outer space. And it's reported that upon reaching outer space, Gagarin radioed back to the space station in Moscow, and he half-jokingly said, well, I guess this confirms it. I don't see God up here. You see, atheism was essentially the state religion of Soviet Russia. So when Gagarin entered space and didn't see God, the good Soviet that he was, it was just confirmation. Well, the jig is up. God is not up here because He doesn't exist. And in response to this comment, C.S. Lewis, a Christian writer from England, he wrote an essay. And in the essay, Lewis shares a really insightful comment. In order to track with the insight that Lewis is going to share, you need to know that Hamlet is a play authored by William Shakespeare. I'm sure many of you, if not most of you, knew that, but just so we're clear, to track with what Lewis is going to say, you need to know the author William Shakespeare wrote a play, wrote a story called Hamlet about a man named Hamlet. Okay, so Lewis writes about Gagarin's comment that he didn't see God when he reached outer space. Lewis says this, quote, "'If there is a God who created the world and created us,' I could no more meet him than Hamlet could meet Shakespeare. If Hamlet wants to prove there is a Shakespeare, he's not going to be able to do it in a lab, nor is he going to be able to find Shakespeare by going up into the top of the stage. The only way Hamlet will know something about Shakespeare is if Shakespeare writes himself into the play. You see, Lewis is making the point that many think of God as an object, and that if scientists research enough or if explorers discover enough, then we can prove or disprove His existence. But Lewis says we shouldn't think of God as an object embedded within creation. We should think of God as an author telling a story. And the only way the characters of a story can know that their author exists is if the author writes himself into the story. And church, this is the good news held out to us in the message of Jesus, that through him, God has done just what Lewis indicated. He's written himself into the story of creation. God is writing a beautiful tragic, redemptive tale across the pages of history and in each one of our lives. And in order to make Himself known to us, the characters in His story, God has written Himself into the story. God has made Himself known to us through the person of Jesus. It's not a scientific experience, experiment, It's not a journey of exploration. It's not a philosophical exercise that will lead you to the knowledge of God. It's only if God reveals Himself. And the gospel, the good news, is that He has done just that through the person of Jesus. So I want to share with you three truths from John chapter 1, 
verse 18, three truths about Jesus and how it is that he reveals God to us. So first, John teaches that Jesus is the eternal word. Jesus is the eternal word. So for us to say that Jesus is eternal, what we mean is that he is without beginning and he is without end. And this is opposed to what our Jehovah's Witness and Mormon friends would say. Those religions believe that Jesus is, like you and me, a created being. And so for them, there was a time when Jesus didn't exist. But let's look at what John teaches, going back to verse 1. He says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. So right away we notice that Jesus, the Word, He is both distinct from God and also identified as God. John says that the Word was with God, indicating that there's a distinction between God and the Word. But then right away, he says that the Word was God, indicating that there's a sameness, a uniformity. So even though there's a mysterious dynamic here between God and the Word, John still clearly identifies Jesus, the Word, as the eternal God. He then continues, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Verse 3, All things were made through Him, And without him was not anything made that was made. So John says here that of all the stuff that's ever been made, from the largest mountain to the tiniest microorganism, of all the stuff that's ever been made, none of it was made without him. The Word is the creative agent of everything that's been created. Let me share with you a super simple diagram, but one that I think helpfully captures this point. So notice first this large circle that represents everything that's ever been made. Nothing has been created that's not in that circle. From the largest star in the furthest away galaxy to the smallest microbe, it's all in that large circle. And then outside of all that created stuff is, I just have written, the Word. Because John writes, all things that were made were made through Jesus, the Word. And without Him was not anything made that was made. Therefore, Jesus, the Word, was not created, because how could He be created if without Him was not anything made that was made? This is a question that our Jehovah's Witness and Mormon friends can't answer. Again, of all the things that have been created, He, the Word, created them. Therefore, He Himself is not created. Jesus is the uncreated, eternal God. My wife and I have four children, and we are in the middle of what I like to call the murderer's row of birthday parties. So we have a son who was born in October, and another son who was born in November. Our daughter Sage was born in December, and our other daughter Rumay was born in, guessed it, January. 
You throw in Jesus' birthday party at Christmas in the middle of that, and our budget is empty. (laughs) Our schedule is full because of presents and parties month after month in a row. But see, birthdays are just one example of the anniversary moments that help us mark out and appreciate time. Like, wow, I've been a parent for 10 years. Our oldest son just turned 10. That's crazy to me. But not only do these time markers help me appreciate how much time is gone, but also it helps me to understand how much time has gone by. Yeah, William turned 10, so that was 2013. I was in seminary at the time. Meg and I had been married for four years to that point. So it kind of helps me wrap my mind around this, of, this amount of time that's passed. You know, in this case, 10 years. But church, there is no wrapping your mind around eternity. There is no conceptualizing this divine attribute. And John teaches here that this divine attribute belongs to Jesus. In the book of Revelation, John refers to Jesus as the one who was and is and is to come. In other words, there never was a time when Jesus didn't exist. He is the uncreated eternal word. Secondly, we learn about Jesus is that He is the enfleshed Word. Jesus is the enfleshed Word. So dictionary.com does not have an entry for enfleshed, but Merriam's-Webster online dictionary does have an entry. Either way, I think this word captures well what John is teaching here. Look again at verse 14. This is several verses later, but again, John speaks of Jesus as the Word. He says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So Jesus is the eternal Word beyond all space and time, and He is the enfleshed Word who entered time and space as a man. The big theological word for what John is describing here is the incarnation. So carn in incarnation is the same Latin root used for the word carnivore. Carnivores are flesh eaters. Well, incarnate is to put on flesh, to embody. And that's what happened when Jesus was conceived in his mother's womb. The eternal God put on human flesh. Jesus is God incarnate, God enfleshed. And now the result is that God could be seen. Look at the rest of verse 14. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and so we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So just like Lewis said before, through the incarnation, God has made himself a character in his own story. God can't be seen by flying way up into outer space as if he's the big guy upstairs. No, God can only be known if he makes himself known, and that's what happened through the enfleshing of the eternal word. Look at verse 18. John says, 
no one has ever seen God. But the only God who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. John says the Son of God has made God the Father known by taking on flesh and entering the story of creation. Up until that point, God had revealed Himself to a certain degree through the Old Testament law and prophets. God had revealed Himself to a certain degree, but no one had ever seen God until He put on flesh and dwelt among us. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 9, the Apostle Paul puts it nice and succinct. He says this about Jesus. In Him... The whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Paul says all of God dwells in the man Jesus. The whole fullness of deity dwells in him bodily. This is God himself in the flesh showing up in the story of the world that he himself is writing so that we, his creatures, the characters in this story, can know Him. Otherwise, we would never know God. We would be as ignorant of Him as Hamlet is Shakespeare. So I can think of at least two famous music groups wherein the lead singer tragically died, and then later the group replaced their former lead singer with the lead singer's son. So, Leonard Skinnerd is a well-known band, at least in the South, where I'm from. They're from Jacksonville, Florida. And their lead singer, Ronnie Van Zant, was killed. But now the group still tours, led by Ronnie's son, Ronnie Van Zant. And the same thing happened with Bob Marley and the Wailers. Bob died an early death, but since then, Ziggy has toured, performing his father's music. Because there's this sense that the sons of these two men are the closest that you're going to get to the real thing. The sons of these two men are images of their fathers. They are their fathers incarnate. John says here, so it is with the Son of God, Jesus. No one has ever seen God, but the only God who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. God the Son has made God the Father known to us by taking on flesh and entering the story of creation. So you will never see Sweet Home Alabama sung by Ronnie Van Zant again, but you can see the image of the Father in His Son, Johnny. And we will never get to see No Woman, No Cry, sung by Bob Marley again. But you can sense the presence of the Father in His Son, Ziggy. And friend, you will never see the eternal God. You will never see the eternal God by trying to be a good person. You will never see the eternal God By trying to be a religious person, you will never see the eternal God by trying to discover Him on your own. But you can see the image of the Father. You can sense the presence of the Father in His Son, Christ Jesus.
we learn about him here that he is the eternal word. He is the enfleshed word. And finally, he is the word we receive by faith. Jesus is the word received by faith. So let's jump into this next point starting in verse 9. There John is using the image of light to describe Jesus. Previously, he called him the word, but now he's going to use the imagery of light. He says this, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet, I'm firing this microphone. Check, 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 check. There we are. Let me start again. Verse 9, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. The light was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. So John says that despite God writing himself into the narrative of the world, despite making himself a character in his own story, he himself, the author became character, was rejected. Moreover, specifically, he was rejected by his own people. The nation of Israel was God's chosen people starting from Abraham forward. Father Abraham forward, and, and God gave to Israel his law through Moses. God gave to Israel his presence in the tabernacle, then the temple. God gave to Israel the monarchy under King David. God gave to Israel prophets speaking his word. They were a chosen and blessed nation. And yet when he came to his own, they did not receive him. And this is still true today. There is still relatively a small number of Abraham's physical descendants who believe Jesus is the Messiah. Instead, they criticized his teaching. They plotted against his life. And eventually, they had him crucified, pierced through as a criminal. Now, this mysteriously was all in accordance with the plan of God because it was through the death of Jesus that the price for our sins was paid. Because you see, Jesus not only reveals God to us, he brings us back into relationship with God by canceling our record of sin through his sacrifice on the cross. There's two verses in the Apostle Peter's writings that say this so beautifully, so concisely. First, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24 the apostle says, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, we are healed. Jesus' body, where the fullness of God dwelled. Jesus' body, which was the enfleshed God. His body bore our sins on the cross. He bore our sins so that we wouldn't have to. And then in the next chapter, chapter 3, verse 18, Peter says, Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous 
for the unrighteous that he might bring us to God. You see, when Jesus died, there was an exchange. The righteous man, Jesus, was given over to death for unrighteous ones like you and me so that we could be brought back into relationship with God. So yes, Jesus, the word, of the, the word of God, the light of the world, he was rejected by his own people. But in the sovereign plan of God, his rejection by men meant our acceptance before our creator. And how can we experience that acceptance? How must we respond to this good news about Jesus dying in the place of sinners? Go back again, starting in verse 9 of John chapter 1. John writes, The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. The light was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own. His own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. You see, this is the way we receive Jesus, through believing in him, through trusting in him. And so this means we don't believe in ourselves. We don't believe in ourselves to make ourselves right with God by being a moral person, by being a spiritual person. No. Because of our sin, we are broken. We are unable to redeem ourselves, unable to save ourselves. So the call of the gospel is to rely on what God has done for us through Jesus. Believe in him to save you. Put your trust in him to do what you can't do for yourself. And if so, John says, you will then have the right to become the children of God. Five years ago next month, my wife and I were able to adopt our daughter, Rume. And if you know what the adoption process is like, you know that it is filled with all sorts of legalities and red tape and bureaucratic hoops that you have to jump through, especially if you adopt from another country because then you've got two government bureaucratic processes to fulfill. But I want to show you this picture. This is in Guangzhou, China. After all the paperwork had been done, after all the fees had been paid, after all the appointments had been completed, we're given this document. This document that says she's ours. She is by right an Eldridge child. By decree of the United States of America and the People's Republic of China, Chen Ru Mei is now Ru Mei Eldridge. We can't get rid of her. She can't get rid of us. <laughs> she, by right, belongs to our family. And friends, so it is when you give your life to Jesus. He is the Son of God who makes us sons and daughters of God. To all who received him, to all who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. 
We can't ever earn our way in. We cannot ever earn our way in. It is all by grace, simply through trusting in what he's done for us. So I call on you. Trust in Jesus. He is the eternal word. There is none like him. He is no mere man. He is God himself. And he is God in the flesh. He is God who has come to dwell among us. He is God who has come to live amongst us. He is God who has come to suffer amongst us. To suffer in our place. And he is the God who we now receive by faith. I urge you to do so. Worship him for who he is. The fullness of God. And so that means he deserves your everything. He is worthy of our highest praise. He is worthy for us to center all of our lives around. He is the one who made us. He is the author of our story. And he is the one who redeems us and is the hero of our story. Let's give him all of our worship. Let's believe in his name. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Church, let's stand as we respond to God's word together.